0: our way through some of the things that christians often say that while good intentions can be hurtful when they're heard or they can be received in a manner that we didn't intend them to be and so it's completely appropriate for us as we are growing in our own individual faith journeys and also as we are cultivating what the church will look like into the future to pay attention to our words and the things that we say a lot of the things that we've covered have been things that we say all the time to one another within the church but sometimes they're things that we say to those outside of the church And we have to make sure that what we are saying is consistent with the scriptures, with our theology, how we understand God, and especially our doctrine. Because every denomination has a unique way of understanding who God is, especially who God is in and through Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the will of God. You may hear people say, oh, well, that's God's will, or the will of God is being done here, or this is what God must want for you. All kinds of different ways of phrasing that. And today we hear it out of, the word, out of the mouth of Jesus. And to give you just a little bit of context, he's out and about in public and he's been preaching and teaching and there's a large crowd gathered. They're here to listen to him. They want to see him and experience him. I'm sure there are some that are hoping he's going to feed them again. There's all kinds of wonderful things going on. And so his, um, his opposition has showed up as well. The Pharisees always show up and they want to trick him. They're trying to inspire people against him. And so they try to ask him some difficult questions. And one of the things they've been doing, which he calls out, is they've been slandering him. They have been going around and saying that he's only able to perform these incredible miracles because he has a demonic spirit. He has an unclean spirit, is what they said. And Jesus, what you hear in the beginning that we're not actually going to focus on, is Jesus says, look, people will be forgiven of their sins. There are lots of things that people say and do that they can find forgiveness for. However, if you're going to claim that the Holy Spirit inside of me is evil then you're going to have a big problem with god god does not take lightly to that jesus repeatedly says you can talk about me just don't talk about the holy spirit within me that's at work you can take exception to a person but the spirit of god within them you might want to be careful about about condemning and so as he's saying this all of a sudden the piece we're going to focus on is that his mother and his family show up and they show up in other places in the gospel accounts it tells us they show up to get him to be quiet They were afraid for Jesus. He is starting to have such a large following, but he's also starting to have a really large group of detractors, people that are against him and what he's doing. And they're concerned for his safety, and time will show us that they were correct. However, they show up this day, and the crowd is so dense that they can't get to him. So they send him a message, because you couldn't text back then. So they send him a message, and they say, Hey, come to us. And when the message gets there and it's repeated to Jesus, He takes a moment and he completely transforms the encounter. He says, well, let's talk about this. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my family is what he's asking. Who are the ones that I would call my family? Now, it's not a genetic answer. It's not about lineage. It's not about legal marriage. It's an answer about what you choose to do that Jesus will value you as a family member. Jesus says it's those who do the will of God. What is the will of God? The people that choose to do this will, if we can determine what it is. Those are the people that Jesus claims as brother and sister and mother. And the will is hinted at throughout scriptures, but will of God is not a phrase that shows up very often within the Bible. In fact, the person that likes to use it the most is the Apostle Paul, mostly to remind people that he didn't choose this life, that this was the will of God for him. And so he's an apostle because this is what Jesus has required, not what he sought to be. Important distinction there. Most clergy would say that. You know, I didn't wake up at five and think, wow, I could be a princess or a rock star, but I'll be a pastor. That's not usually what happens. The will of God gets revealed for you over time, and it's for you, and you have to discern it, and that sort of thing. The will of God is something that we fulfill, not something that is forced upon us. I could have said no to being a pastor. There are other things that I could have done. It would have had ramifications in my life, but you could say, no, there are plenty of people who have. You have options when it comes to fulfilling the will of God. It is not something that God puts upon you like a very heavy mantle and requires you to bear it like a beast of burden. Instead, it is something that you choose to do. Our first reading explains this in a letter from Thessalonians, that the will of God is to do good things, to bless people, to be part of God's healing God's rejuvenation and God's gifts to the world it's a very important distinction Jesus will tell us in the gospel account of Matthew in chapter 5 that the will of God is for us to feed the hungry give the thirsty something to drink to welcome the stranger to clothe the naked and to visit and care for the sick and the imprisoned that is the will of God and those that do it will get to come into the kingdom says Jesus and those that refuse to do it for anyone much less him embodied in other people will have to pay the price That the will of God is a response. It is our opportunity to be part of God's will, not to be told, this is what you must do. But instead, I am inviting you to be part of my earthly expression of my heart for all people, my desire to be a blessing and not a burden. So we have to be careful when we start throwing around that term, it's the will of God, or surely this is what God is asking of us, or this is what God wants. Or you have to be really careful about the ways in which we say this to other people especially. My life has had major incidents in it where if I had been listening to people tell me it was the will of God, there's no way I'd be a pastor. And I probably wouldn't even be a Christian. I'd probably be a really angry atheist. Because there are things that are very hurtful and painful. And when somebody ascribes those to God, you start to question, one, their sanity. And what kind of God are you worshiping when you say those things? When I was three, I've shared with some of you in a sermon that I developed an autoimmune disorder, and it manifested itself on my skin as psoriasis. And my family had no idea where that came from. There was no history of it. And fortunately, my mother was an RN, and she goes, that's not chickenpox. And so she took me to the doctor, and that's where they discovered that I actually had this autoimmune disorder. Well, back in the 80s, you didn't have pediatric dermatologists. There weren't a lot of people that were specializing in the skin treatment for children. And by the way, we didn't even know that psoriasis was an autoimmune disorder at that time. It would be over almost two decades later before we figured this out. And so there were plenty of people within the church, because I grew up in the church, and outside of the church that would go, well, this must be God's will for you. Really? I wish I had been so articulate when I was five. Oh, my goodness. So let let me get this straight. You're telling me that it's God's will that I should be covered practically from head to toe with... An awful skin disorder that itches so bad that I scratch until I bleed. That makes me a pariah because I'm walking around looking like a biblical leper. That's the God you serve? That you want me to serve and worship? That's what you're saying? And no, I don't think God gave me psoriasis. I think that there's some genetic flaw somewhere in our, my coding and my family that unfortunately rose to the surface. But I can tell you where I have seen the will of God in that encounter. Throughout my time, especially up until I was 18, for the next 15 years of my life, I would encounter people who were vessels of God's blessing. That first doctor, my pediatrician, when my mom took me to him, he did something that I've never seen a doctor do before. He looked at me and he realized what I had, and he started to roll up his sleeve and he showed me his elbow, and he goes, I know exactly what you have, I have it too. He showed me compassion. He revealed to me his empathy, that I know what's going on with you and I'm going to help you. We're going to figure out what to do together. I'm not going to reject you because you suddenly look so different. And then throughout my time, as people would look at me as some kind of pariah, as if I was carrying around, you know, typhus, there were people who would say, (laughs) you know what, it's okay. You tell me it's not communicable, and I believe you, and I'm still going to be your friend. And I'm not going to look at you as if you're a monster, but instead I'm going to try to see the human being within. And so there were people who repeatedly reached out to me and showed God's grace and God's presence and God's love for me, a love that overrides how my skin looked. It was an incredible blessing. And finally, we found a dermatologist who said, you know what, she's really wiggly and like five, but I think we can work with this. I think there's something that we can do, and we can try to bring her some relief, and we can even try to help this go away. Because the other dermatologists were like, I don't mess with this. This is not good. But there was finally someone who said, you know what, I have a ministry of healing and my healing is for all people. And I don't believe that this is the will of God for her to suffer like this, and so I'm going to work with her. And did. For over 15 years that person worked with me. So there are people who recognize that God didn't do that to me, but what God is doing is working through other people to help redeem these horrific things in our lives. We have to be really careful when we throw out, you know, this is this must is, God must be doing this. God's doing this. I can tell you one of the most hurtful things I heard that in was when I had spouses who committed adultery it is really hard to hear somebody justify that kind of pain and incredible brokenness it's really devastating and so people would say you know God's going to set you free from this. this is God working to do things I'm going let's just be really clear here this is a world that needs to be redeemed This is a world where natural disasters wipe out communities and cause widespread death and pain and suffering. This is a world where even our bodies don't do what God intended for them to do sometimes. A world where bodies can break down neurologically. A world where bodies will start to generate cancer and eat ourselves alive. That's not God's will for us. That's a perversion of what God intended us to be. And so when when we ascribe God's will to that, What people hear is, God wants this for me? This awful pain and suffering? My body is a prison? My body is part of the abuse that I suffer? And God did this for me? Wow, I want nothing to do with that. And so they run the other direction. But instead, we have to recognize that even the things that people say and do reflect more often than not our sinfulness rather than our holiness. That people make decisions. We express our will and often in willful disobedience. And those decisions cause pain and suffering. God doesn't make a spouse cheat on another spouse. That's a human decision. God doesn't make you gossip about somebody else and break a relationship. God doesn't make us sow chaos and disorder in order to disrupt the peace of the community. That's a human being thing. That's a sinful human thing. And we should not be trying to give that unglory to God. Instead, though, in every decision that brings forth evil and pain and suffering, we have to recognize that God is there with us and for us to help us triumph over those things. God doesn't abandon us when life completely comes out from beneath us and unravels. Instead, God says, I am with you and I will show you that I am with you. And sometimes I will do that through other people, sometimes I will do that through redemptive encounters and experiences you have but i have not abandoned you and by no means is this my will for you that you should suffer like this god says i know the plans that i have for you and it's to prosper you not to hurt you but when we use that that kind of language about this must be god's will what we are telling people actually subverts and can destroy god's desire to be with us and for us to bring us into a bright and beautiful future where we encounter god's grace in unending glory. We can destroy people's willingness to even explore a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we make Jesus Christ to be at someone who is here to punish us or someone who is here to absolutely override the good and the blessings with pain and punishment, that's not who Jesus came to be. If God really wanted us to suffer and to die like that, then instead of giving us the Savior, God would have been handing out a lot of crosses. And we would have had to die for our sins on our cross. And it would be us in the tomb, not Jesus having come and suffered in our, in our stead and then dying and going into the tomb and on the third day rising again that we might have everlasting life. That's God's will. God's will is to be with us and for us, not against us. Not to create uh, an incredible situation where most people would falter and fail because it is so devastating. And the last time I had somebody say, it was really, really painful. Right before my son was born, I had a miscarriage. And I can remember going from a place of hope into a place of utter despair. And I remember when you start to talk about that, people get very uncomfortable because they don't know what to say. What do you say to somebody who, you know, was planning a nursery and now is not? What do you say to somebody who had been so happy and excited just last week, but this time you see them and they're devastated and they can't even keep it straight? What do you say to somebody like that? And so we, we default to, you know, it must have been God's will. God didn't kill my baby. God didn't kill anybody's baby. That's not what happened. My body failed. I don't know why my body failed, but my body failed. My body is meant to nourish life. My body was meant to bring him forth. And my body was meant to actually make it possible for me to fulfill the very first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. And my body failed me but my body also failed another person. And that was devastating. And then to hear that that happened because God did that? No. I can tell you that as soon as I recognized in the ER what was happening to me, that the Spirit of the Lord washed over me, and I could feel God's heart breaking alongside of mine. I could feel God weeping with me. And our scriptures testify to this, that God weeps over Israel, that God weeps... When God in Jesus comes before the tomb of Lazarus and sees everybody mourning at loss, Jesus wept. And God weeps with us. People who have suffered a miscarriage, both women and men, are in a terribly dark place. We wonder if anybody will ever remember that life that was so precious to us. We wonder if this will just pass on and people don't want to hear about it. It's uncomfortable. And then to have somebody to say that God did it. When you're in that deep, dark place, that is not going to help bring you to the light. But I do know that consistently throughout that, through people who shared their stories, for people who said, I can't imagine, that were just honest. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Or people who said, I don't even know what to say, but I love you and I'm so sad with you. Those were the moments where I could feel God at work, seeking to bless me, even in the midst of such incredible, overwhelming sorrow. So when we hear people say these things, it's God's will, we have to be willing to kind of push back on that. And sometimes... You know, it falls to me. The other day somebody came into my presence and they started to talk about how there was an experience with cancer and that surely God is doing this. And then I had to stop because I was kind of overwhelmed. I mean, I'm prepping for this very sermon. And I said uh, to myself, wow, God, did you you really have to add one more fuel to this fire? Uh, Okay. And my response to this was, you know what? I don't think that there's anything in this world that can happen that God can't work through to help redeem for us. There's no human sin. There's no failure of the planet, of the environment, of our bodies, of somebody else's body. There's no failure there. There's no flaw. There's no sin that God can't work through to help us know that we are loved, that we are not alone, that God is with us and for us, and that someone else's sin is not going to have the final say in our lives, that the final say in our lives is not sin but salvation. And that we are called to remind people of that. God didn't do that, but God is with you right now. God would never want to hurt you like that. And someone in this world has brought that kind of pain. But God is with you now. And I'm here to be with you in this midst too. So that you know that you're not alone. That God didn't do this. And God is breaking God's heart with you. That God yearns for you to know. That you are known and loved. And that we serve a Savior who came not to condemn but to heal. And so we have to speak that truth. And then when that person who had said that thing about the cancer left my sight, I remember being there and going, you know, sometimes we speak and we don't think about the theology. That you're telling me that you think that the God that we worship every Sunday here in beautiful Crozet gave someone cancer. Cancer. Or that the God that we worship destroyed a family. And sometimes we're trying to be kind of utilitarian about our theology. We're trying to think about the greater good, which I appreciate. That's a difficult thing for us to to kind of conceptualize. But God doesn't offer up one lamb for the 99. That's not the parable. The parable is that God will go and search for the one to bring them back to the 99. And so if we remember that, God's will is for union. God's will is to welcome the lost home, to find them and bring them back. God's will is that we would be a blessing to one another and not a burden. God's will is that when we are able, we will help others. And then when we are in need, they in turn will help us. That's the will of God. And when Jesus instructs us as disciples to follow that will, he invites us. To be a part of a family that is forming because we choose to be in this family. Not because we are born into some hot mess or because we have married into something that didn't turn out to be what we thought. But instead that we choose to be a part of the family of God. We choose to be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We choose to be part of the family that will nurture in the next generation and turn over them, not just a church, not just a doctrine, but a living theology that God is with us and for us. A God who rejuvenates, a God who rekindles, who restores, a God that redeems. That's what the meaning is. And so we struggle with this because you'll hear it a lot. And you'll probably have to do what I and the church staff do a lot of, when you hear someone say that, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to bite your tongue. And you're going to take a deep breath. And then you're going to look for the same words. Now, I, I, I don't believe that God does us harm, but I do believe that this is an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. That we have an opportunity to manifest the balm of Gilead right here. That through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that we will be able to manifest God's blessing in the midst of burden. God's hope and joy in the midst of mourning and sorrow. That's when the will of God is experienced. People didn't become Christians in droves in the book of Acts and in the New Testament because they thought that God was out to get them. They became Christians because they recognized for for perhaps the first time in their lives that this is a God who is with them and for them, who knows them and loves them. And that's the God they wanted to be with. There are a lot of deities in the scriptures and in the world. There are a lot of people that will compete for your attention and for your worship. But the God that we worship, the God that gave to us Jesus Christ, the God that gave us the scriptures, the God that gave us the church, the God that gave us salvation on that cross at Calvary, that God has chosen us and wants to bless us and bless through us.